one of us. You know our past, you know our future, you know what we're facing right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as you work among us today, that for each of us, you'd speak right into our life. Maybe not with the words that I would say, but words that you would say, that you would whisper to us. And help us make good decisions today, I pray. In your name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated where you are, please. So, have you ever... uh, Ever heard a little kid, or maybe when you were a little kid, you said a filthy word? <laughs> our little, one of our little grandsons, I won't say which one, but <clears throat> probably all of them have done it. He was staying with his aunt. He was, uh, he was probably four years old, something like that, maybe five. And uh, he and his cousin were playing down in the basement. And... Uh, my daughter Kelly heard heard this cuss word from her little nephew, and, and she said his name. Then she said, "What did you say?" He said, "I said." Then he said the word. <laughs> I won't say what the word was, but you you can fill in the blank for yourself. So, where do they get that? You know, somebody says a bad word, where did they get that? Where did they pick that up? Well, most likely they picked it up from their parents. They said something along the, along the way. So I want to talk to you this morning about influence. Uh, if you have two people, one is influencing the other. Now that might change at times where the other one influences them. But we all influence each other. You influence me, I influence you. And then secondly, there's God and another person. And he influences us or we influence him. You say, well, how can I influence God? What, why do you pray? <laughs> why do you pray if you don't influence God? So there's always influence going one way or another. You know, uh, it, it's interesting to me, at different points in my life where I've been pushed one way or another, some cases, I've been listening to my friend Ron Melligan on the radio, he's been on the radio, he's been in heaven for 27 years and he's still on the radio, 17 years, he's still on the radio. He had a great, he pushed me the right direction. Other influences, you know, my middle brother, Marlon, when I was a little kid, he pushed me in the wrong direction. Eventually, we pushed each other in the right direction. So the first question I want to ask today is, do you have a friendship with God? Now, that sounds kind of crazy. It might not sound crazy to you, but can you imagine a politician saying, yeah, I'm friends with God? What would happen to that politician? Well, people laugh at him. Oh, right. Yeah, he's friends with God. He talks to God. Like that's such a ludicrous thing. Sounds crazy initially, but Jesus said, you're my friends. You're my friends. So I'll talk about Abraham. Abraham was God's friend. 
It says that three times in the scriptures. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, it says that it refers to Abraham as your friend. So somebody else said your friend, Abraham. Then James 2.23, Abraham says Abraham is called your friend. And Isaiah 41.8, God refers to Abraham as my friend. So so think about that. Let's say, let's say, Rick, that somebody says. You're my friend. Somebody says, you've been called my friend. But then imagine you are my friend. That's what God says about you. Somebody else may say, you called, called his friend. But God says, you are my friend. That's a, that's a touching thing, isn't it? You're my friend. So last week we talked about Abraham. We talked about the three men, quote unquote, two angels and the angel of the Lord, which was Jesus, uh, came to his tent and uh, asked where Sarah was. Oh, she's in the tent. He said, well, tell her that she's going to have a baby this time next year, remembering that she's 89 years old. And so Sarah laughed. I love that because... We always think if God, if, if God saw a smile or say something wrong, do something wrong, where they're done. I'm not going to give them what they want. Sarah laughed. She laughed at the prospect of having a child. And then she said, well, I didn't laugh. God said, yes, she did. But he still granted what he said. So I want to read this morning Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. I used to say you can grab your Bible, but we don't put those there anymore because of the COVID thing. But maybe you, maybe you have your own Bible with you. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 16. When the men, quote unquote, got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, he's one of those, one of those three men, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And the men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So fill in the blank there on your outline. God communicates with his friends. Friends communicate with each other. And in this passage, it's interesting to me that the Lord says about Abraham, he says, I'm about to come down against Sodom. Can I withhold this from Abraham? In other words, I can't hide something from my friend. I'm going to give him a heads up. I'm going to give him a heads up about what's coming. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a man does not know his servant's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father 
I have made known to you. So are you a friend of God? Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. If you do, then you're his friend. Now, being a friend, it's a little, being a friend with God is a little bit like, have you ever had a friend that you had never seen, but you only talked to them on the telephone? I don't think I have. But you know what it's like to talk to somebody on a telephone? You recognize their voice. You have a conversation with them. But it's not quite the same, is it, as seeing them face to face. But if you're a real friend, you keep no secrets. Secondly, God's friends communicate with him. They talk about everything. Not only does God not keep secrets from us, but he asks us not to keep secrets from him. So let me read on this passage. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then the Lord approached him and said, Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Think about talking to God that way. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Can you imagine talking to the Lord that way? Because I know you wouldn't do that. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now imagine God looking down on Billings and saying, I wonder if I can find 50 righteous people in Billings. If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. It's inappropriate to use this as a word anymore, but you know what calling someone a Jew means? If they're dickering, trying to bargain? That's inappropriate, I know, but Abraham's doing it. <laughs> yes. He says that there's 50 righteous people, and now, now I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. What if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. So the Lord went 50, 45, 30, 20, 10. If, there's 10 right, if I can find 10 righteous people, I'll spare the city. Well, apparently he couldn't. Abraham is praying for the lost. So I want, I want to ask you something this morning. Do you know anyone who doesn't know the Lord? Do you pray for them? Keep praying. I prayed for my brothers for 30 years. Keep praying for them. Praying for a couple right now. Holding them before the Lord. Asking him to overwhelm them with his presence. Charles Spurgeon, who was part of the greatest preacher ever known, was in England in the 1800s. This is what he said about that. He said, if they will not hear you speak, they cannot prevent you praying. In other words, if they won't listen, they can't keep you from praying. Do they jest at your exhortations? They cannot disturb you at your prayers. Are they far away so that you cannot reach them? Your prayers can reach them. 
Have they declared that they will never listen to you again or see your face? Never mind. God has a voice that they must hear. Speak to him and he will make them feel. Though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. Never let them perish for lack of your supplication. Isn't that great? So Abraham appealed to God on the basis of his love for people. So let me ask you, what is your list of lost people that you're praying for? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Underline that, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So that demonstrates God's heart towards the lost. Second question I'd like to ask is, do you have friendship with the world? Now we're going to get personal. On issues in your life, if someone says something and you respond by saying, I think, I want to ask you, why do you think that? Do you think that because that's what God thinks or do you think that because that's what the world has taught you to think? There are lots of issues where that's true. What do you think about marriage? What do you think about morality? Well, sleeping around, that's no big deal. Everybody does it, so, so they say. Cheating, ethics, money. I think I told you last year about the guy I was golfing with who was telling me how he got out of paying taxes. And he, he told me before that he, that I was his pastor. So I felt like, well, I can talk to him about that, I guess. He just gave me permission. Do not conform to the world. Ginger and I were watching this butterfly last night. We've got a beautiful backyard, and there's these flowers, yellow flowers. <clears throat> this butterfly was just kind of fluttering around the flowers. And I, so someday I'm going to do it, get a cocoon. See how ugly that is. And get a get a worm caterpillar. See how ugly that is in the cocoon. And then notice how beautiful a butterfly is. Do not conform. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world shape you, but be transformed into a beautiful creature that God wants you to be. So first time I started thinking about this was when I was in junior high school. I I, I thought, you know, I can't act and talk the same way at home as I do at school. And I can't and talk, talk and act at school like I do at home. If I'd act that way at school, people would say, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy thinking. If I did that at home, my parents would slap me. Don't let the world shape you into its mold, squeeze you into its mold. I, m I might have mentioned when my daughters went to junior high the first year that we were here. And there was some something going on in this in this class and and 
she popped up and said, what about the rapture? You know what happened, don't you? They just about laughed her out of the classroom. The rapture. Teacher even made fun of her. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And yet Jesus said, do not love the world. What's that getting at? He loves the world in the sense that he loves all people. But he says, don't love the world in the sense of the world system of things. For example, do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, or what he does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust of the eye, I want that, I must have that. You know what that feels like. I want that desperately. So desperately I'd compromise. Or my desires are so great. The lust of the flesh, they must be satisfied. I can't say no to that. I must say yes to that. That's lust. The boastful pride of life. I asked Allie to prepare me these jars this morning. If you don't remember anything else about the sermon, you can, you can remember this. Let's say this is a good person, but they're being influenced by evil. What happens? It's a good person being influenced by evil. And the more the influence comes, what's happened? They've been influenced in the wrong way. Now when you look at their life, all you can see is evil. That was true of Lot, as we'll talk about in a minute. Oops. <laughs> this is supposed to be, well, I can do it this way. This is, a, this is an evil person being influenced by good. What's happening? It's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Now, if I had the whole jar to pour in there, you'd barely be able to see any red. That's what happens when you're influenced by good. Now, we're not going to be completely free until we get to heaven. But the influence of the world diminishes and diminishes and diminishes. We become better and better. Lot was tainted by his evil culture. The Bible calls him a righteous man. Originally, he was a righteous man. Probably still saved, but he was tainted by his culture. Notice these, notice these words. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. So he's trying to protect them. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did not go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. 
Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called Lot, Where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play judge. We'll treat him, treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door, but when the men reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door, then they stuck the men, struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. So there is some good in Lot. Obviously, he's trying to protect these men. But he's been deeply impacted by his culture. Notice how he's been impacted by his culture. A sinful culture has influenced Lot in the following ways. His sons-in-law laughed at the prospect of God's judgment. So there are many people today, if, you'd, if you would talk about, well, God's, God's going to judge the world someday, they'd laugh at you. Yeah, right. They'd laugh. Lot was hesitant to leave. So let me ask you this question. What is dragging you? Are you being drugged toward the world or are you being drugged toward God? Lot was hesitant to leave. He didn't want to leave. God had to literally drag him out of the city. Lot's wife left reluctantly, indicating her love for the world. Now think about that. God said, don't look back. So she's leaving the city, and her looking back is symbolic of her looking back, desiring what she's leaving. I thought about that a few days ago. I don't know that this has always been true. I think it has. When I look back at my life before Jesus, there's nothing in the world that drags me that direction. I, I don't want to be, I'm not tempted at all to be drugged that direction. There's nothing about it that I love now that I would prefer over what I have now. But that wasn't true with Lot. He looked, she looked back, Lot's wife looked back, longing for what she was leaving. And then notice Lot's disrespect for his daughters. This is unbelievable to me. The men came banging on the door and said, we, we want Lot, or we want the angels, I'm sorry. We want the angels. We want these, we want these men to come out. And, and Lot said, you can't have them, but I'll give them your daughters. Give me my daughters. Think about that. They want to rape these men. He says, no, you can't do that, but go ahead and take my daughters. Golly. You think something happened to him along the way? Lot's disrespect for his daughters. And then lastly, Lot's daughters were obviously tainted by the world. Now, just as bad as what I just said, that Lot would turn his daughters over to these men to rape them, then you look at the reverse. When they left the city, Lot and his daughters lived in a cave. And the daughters got together and said, you know, we're, our line is going to be lost. Let's get dad drunk and have sex with him. 
I mean, can you even imagine that? A, a righteous man saying something like, oh, let's get dad drunk. And they did. One did. Then the other one did the next night. And they both became pregnant, and they were the mothers of the uh, Ammonites and the Moabites, who were perpetual enemies of God. Abraham remained faithful. Lot compromised. Not speaking ill of him, but my middle brother, who was very much of the world most of his life, but he turned to Christ in the last years. And, but he still had one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. Now, I assume that I would be talking to somebody this morning who, who may be trying to live in both worlds. In fact, probably most of us in one way or another do. Is there any place in your life where you have compromised the ways of God or the ways of the world? Is there any way where you're, well, it won't hurt. You know, this, won't, this is not so bad. And it's almost like we try and get as close as we can to sin without going all the way. One lot in the world, one lot in the kingdom. It just doesn't work. Paul said, do not give the enemy a foothold. The word that's used there is, is the word tapos, which, me, which means if you, if you take this whole podium and you take one little spot over here, it says don't give him one little spot. Why is that? Because he's never satisfied. He'll take that little spot and he'll keep worming away. He'll keep worming away, worming away. Don't even leave any place in your life for Satan to work. Why take a chance? And we're all tempted to do that at times. It's like, well, this won't hurt. This is, this is not bad. This is okay. But if we give him one space, then he works and he works. He's never satisfied to have just a little bit, is he? He wants it all. So this morning I want to just encourage you, if there's any place in your life where you may have compromised. That's how Lot started. Where you may have compromised. Nobody's here to indict you, but if you compromise, then you'll want to just stop it and allow the Lord to drive the enemy out of that area of your life. Recently, I was thinking about something, and and, and that was my logic. That's, that's not so bad. That's not sinful. And it, and it really wasn't sinful, but it was something that opened up the pathway to sin. And the Lord dealt with me about that. So close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment, if you would. God wants to fight for you. He wants to fight for you. And I want to encourage you this morning, if there's, you know, all of us are tempted. I mean, there, there's just, there's no way we could say we're not tempted. We're all tempted. Some seasons more than other seasons, but we all get tempted. And if you're fighting it this morning, I just pray that you would just turn your back, literally turn your back on whatever it is that you're being tempted toward. And ask God in his grace. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So face him. Don't face what you've been struggling with.
here this morning and you're making a decision in your life that, you know, I, Pastor, I love the Lord, but I, I've been drawn towards something and I've, I've given into that at times. And today I want to just turn my back on that. I don't, I don't know what that would be. But if that's you, would you just, everybody else's heads are bowed, just slip up your hand. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm turning from that. 